This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about gentle curiosity, practicing it with myself and practicing it with others. I've been thinking about personal expansion, anxiety, burnout, and success, the debilitating quest for external validation, our pesky false beliefs, and the actual science behind productivity, and I've been thinking about microsteps and Thrive Global. My guest today is Marina Kadekel. She is Thrive Global's Head of Content Development with a focus on boosting physical and mental well-being to support people in their ability to thrive, and the author of Your Time to Thrive, End Burnout, Increase Well-Being, and Unlock Your Full Potential with the New Science of Microsteps. Welcome, Marina, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Ellie. Thank you. So I want to say, first of all, congratulations on the book. Um, I know it must be so exciting just to, to get it done and get it out there. And I hope it's exciting. It's <laughs> I hope so you're enjoying exciting. the ride. Yes. Good. Um, and Ariana Huffington, the founder of Thrive Global, she says on the cover, use this book to thrive in the new normal, one micro step at a time. So let's start with micro steps, then we'll tackle the new normal and, and what that means and the impact that that's having on everyone. So why the focus on small steps? Why was that where you guys decided to laser focus? So yeah, micro steps are really one of the one of the big pillars of Thrive. And for listeners who, who aren't familiar, Thrive Global was launched four years ago by Ariana Huffington um, with the mission of ending the stress and burnout epidemic and helping individuals and companies unlock unlock their potential. Um, so typically Thrive works with Fortune 100 companies to help their employees uh, start better habits. And we wanted to make our philosophy and the science of microsteps available to everyone um, so they could change their life too. And, and so this is our first book, super exciting. So microsteps, what they are are small science-backed actions and mindset shifts that we can start implementing immediately into our lives to build uh, healthy habits that really improve our lives. Um, we call them too small to fail. Uh, and, you know, the science shows it's precisely these tiny steps that actually help us build habits that lead to big improvements in our lives. Um, a generous estimate says, you know, over 50% of New Year's resolutions fail. And um, we kind of know why that is. And it's because people bite off more than they can chew. They start too big. They, um, you know, their goals are very lofty. And when they don't meet them right away, they get discouraged and, and they just stop. And, and that kind of all or nothing thinking and approach that inhibits us from moving forward and, and living the life that we want rather than the life that we settle for. So micro steps really help us feel more in control. Um, they give us something small to celebrate every day. They build that muscle to create even more wins uh, and good habits in our lives. And Marina, what do you think it is about the micro step that's so effective in disrupting either a mindset or a habit or a behavioral pattern? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's um, it's partly a psychological thing. You know, we get something done and we can celebrate it. Um, and then that helps us feel like I'm doing, I'm doing it. You know, if I, we don't have to slog away at the gym, you know, if we can't do that, we don't have to turn our lives upside down. Um, micro steps give us that confidence that we are moving forward um, and that we are taking action rather than just remaining stagnant um, 
in our lives. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, okay. yeah, uh-huh. go ahead. No, no, go Sorry. ahead. Thank you. Um, you know, I was just going to say that after the year we've had, we're all pretty overwhelmed. Um, the idea of making a big dramatic life change feels daunting. You know, it feels kind of ridiculous. We're all pretty tired. Um, but, you know, luckily the science says we, we actually don't have to turn our lives upside down and, and change everything. And, uh, in fact, it's more effective um, to to take small steps to transform what's not working because we're more likely to stick with it. I think like both those ends of that spectrum are so important because one, we have these beliefs, you mentioned it in the book, these beliefs about what it means to exercise. Oh, I'm going to have to, you know, run a marathon or go to the gym for an hour and a half or do all these things that are going to take all this time or maybe energy that I don't feel like I have. Or the opposite end of the spectrum is like, oh, well, I only have five minutes or I only have two minutes. It's not going to do anything. And that both of those are false. Right. And and kind of stopping us from taking action. Yeah. And and you touched on something important, which is um, limiting beliefs, right? These are sort of the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and, and what we can and can't do and, and why. And, you know, some of the limiting beliefs, you know, we might have include, you know, other people need more sleep, but I don't need it. Or um, I don't have time to sleep or I don't have time to eat right or, um, or exercise or move. But, uh, you know, revisit, we, we talk about visiting with those limiting beliefs and really thinking about like, is that true? Like, do I really not have time or can I, you know, schedule small bursts of movement throughout the day or can I do one healthy food swap, you know, swap a soda for a water with lemon. And those small changes actually inspire us because we're not, we, we realize we don't need to change everything and turn everything upside down. We don't need to overhaul our entire diet, our entire routine. We can add these small bursts of uh, basically self-care, focus on our well-being into our days. And that's inspiring to know, like, I'm doing something and, and I'm, I'm starting a better habit without having to do all that much. It was so informative throughout the book, but the, the two elements you mentioned is one that we have these narratives and many are sort of false narratives or unhelpful narratives about ourselves or about life. We're also operating, um, which was so evident throughout the book, on so much misinformation. So even in the areas where, you know, maybe we're, we're wedded to that narrative or we're trying to, to do something like be more productive, which we'll talk a lot about, um, that the ways that we're doing it or the things that we aren't doing or the exact sacrificing for that are actually actually our biggest barriers. Um, I just want to say, like, I have to admit, when I first started the book, I was thinking, are you kidding me? Like, who doesn't know that you need a good night's sleep or exercise or eat well? Like, I was five years old a long, long time ago. You know, those were the three things. (laughs) Um, And and so I'm like, ah, but then uh, um, a few pages into the book, I read a quote from Barney Tosui and and I, I just wanted to put my head down and cry because she says this isn't what she thinks, but this is how people are, are operating, that if you aren't visibly producing, you aren't worthy. And yeah. it just is heartbreaking. Um, I think that's a big part of what Ariana is referring to as the new normal, as well as just the external drivers from technology and the idea of like, you know, push through, power through. Um, you know, getting things done. What do you see are the unique challenges of the new normal? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we're really in an odd moment. Um, even before the pandemic started, you know, burnout and stress were an epidemic. 
um, people were falling prey to this sort of toxic hustle culture. Um, I've got to burn the candle on both ends and hustle constantly, you know, produce constantly, as you said, to be successful. And that's just not true. And, you know, Thrive was, Ariana started Thrive because the science was mounting that investing in our well-being isn't a nice to have, but it's a must have for our success, for our happiness, for our connections. Um, and, and right now, you know, the pandemic has, has really been a catalyst. Um, for all of us to think a little bit more deeply about the world we want to return to. You know, we're not going back to quote unquote normal um, and we shouldn't. Um, and, and people are sort of holding their breath and have been holding their breath and uh, to see what normal will be. And, um, you know, this book is really made to be a very doable and easy system, a guide to, to a happier and more fulfilling life. It offers a system for navigating all this uncertainty without getting overstressed, without going back to those old habits that didn't serve us, um, you know, and allow us to develop new ways to take care of ourselves, to work, and also, most importantly, to cultivate curiosity and, and purpose and a sense of wonder again um, after more than a year of, you know, holding our breath and, and just sort of waiting. And so like, why do you have uh, chapters about purpose and, and curiosity and creativity? Um, that's so, so important to, to living the life we want. It's all very connected, you know, to our well-being. <laughs> Those are definitely stabs in the heart. The one on the, the chapter on awe and wonder where, because this is sort of the value system that the readers are operating on, but to you, that you had to say that, well, this actually boosts boost your productivity. It wasn't just that there was intrinsic value in awe and wonder and that it might yeah. just feel really good and be a good experience and that that actually is the purpose of life or or, or a huge element of it, right? Just to enjoy the experience of that. Um, but, the, you know, there had to be this tag on of, well, and it'll make you more productive and the same with creativity, right? Um, you you just mentioned the, the 2018 Gallup poll where it was pre-pandemic and they found that 23% of employees were already feeling burned out. And, and not just sometimes, but very often or always. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, there, the the post-pandemic has so many, and we're not even post yet, right? But this phase of where we are in yeah. the pandemic, so many um, repercussions. I, I was listening to a conversation on The Cut um, with Esther Perel, and, and she and Avery were talking about the increased role that work has become. And there's also a really good um, article in Fast Company about this and that the, the division has become even um, less real and, and probably completely skewed and that people were working four and five hours more a day than they had been before. And that Esther Pearl was talking about the the essential role now that work plays in that we look to work for belonging and identity and growth and self-development and for purpose and for meaning and all the things that maybe we got some somewhere else before. But that on top of that, like our identity has become what we do. It's not, you know, part of our identity, but it is what we do. Is that something as you did the research for the book that or, or your work at Thrive Global that was surprising to you? Or is that a, a life that you were living? You know, it it wasn't surprising, but it was pervasive, and it's 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 correct. You know, we're we're working more, even you know during the pandemic, it really 
brought home something called the productivity paradox. We're working more, but because we're more stressed and distracted, we're less productive. Um, Google searches for how to get my brain to focus skyrocketed in the last year, and it, and it really took the pandemic to increase that awareness of the connection between productivity and well-being. You know, people in this sort of hustle culture have thought, like, work is everything. I, I need to put work first, and then I'll be successful. But we're really learning that that's not true. You know, we need uh, a commitment to recharge our internal batteries on a daily basis because, you know, being proactive and preventing burnout in the first place is so much better and easier and more effective than trying often unsuccessfully to make up for it once we've burned out. And too many people put everything into, uh, you know, into their professional lives and don't take the time to, uh, to feed the rest of themselves, you know, their well-being. So in this book, you'll find a lot of ancient wisdom woven throughout, um, really connecting us to timeless truths. And you won't see it that in a lot of, in a lot of uh, self-help guides, if you will. But um, the Stoics and other ancient philosophers knew, you know, that when we do take care of ourselves, we're far better able to focus and pursue our own version of success and, and not someone else's. Um, you know, they, of course, didn't have phones paying them every two minutes like we do or, or more often. But they knew. They knew the benefits of silence. They knew the benefits of gratitude. They knew the benefits of, of looking inward and, and, and restoration. Um, that, you know, they knew that they were far from a waste of time. And, and that still holds up. You know, we know at any given point where the charger is for our devices, for our phones. But we don't really know uh, how to recharge our own batteries. And this book can help anyone do that um, starting really small and very simply. It seems throughout the book, there's these two paths that like bump up against each other and intertwine at times. And I think you just mentioned both of them in that last bit in the sense of there is this new normal sense of, of um, definition of success, which is very limited to like what that means, being productive and, and reaching these certain external goals. And then the other um, idea of what success means for uh, the individual and maybe even for humanity as well. Um, but mm -hmm. on both counts, people are kind of getting it wrong with the behaviors that they're choosing. And I think, you, you know, you point that out throughout the book. Um, you say we're up against some harsh realities, the accelerated pace and, all, and always on um, nature of modern life and our modern society's definition of success, and <laughs> which it tells us that sleep is idle or even wasted time. And it seems the same mm -hmm. for, for eating and, and or taking any kind of a break. Um, you did a lot of research on the benefits of sleep. So talking to that crowd that's still holding on to this, this more narrow idea of success, um, what are some of the things you found as to the, the scientific evidence that sleep is actually beneficial, even just for the goal of being more productive? Oh, absolutely. You know, while every topic covered in this book is essential, sleep is the first chapter for a reason. It's very intentional. Um, you know, experts call sleep uh, a keystone habit. So over time, when you establish a good habit with sleep, it transforms everything else in your life. You know, we think of sleep as a luxury we can't afford sometimes, but when we do that, we really pay a price in terms of our physical health and our mental health. 
but also in terms of our performance, as you mentioned, Ellie, and our focus and even our relationships. Um, when we make it a priority, we become this really powerful lever, um, and it makes other important habits and good decisions easier. Sleep it really is a um, it's like bringing in the research shows sleep is really like bringing in an overnight cleaning crew to clear the toxic waste proteins that accumulate between our brain cells. Um, it's like a dishwasher for the brain. Uh, study after study just has been affirming, you know, sleep's benefits to, to our holistic well-being. It's an essential period of recovery and um, we, we can't, we can no longer ignore the importance of sleep, not just for restoration, but for, performance, but also everything else. You know, we make better decisions. We're kinder. We're more empathetic. Um, it really, it really uh, spirals out to the rest of our life. As I read the book, I got to where I was kind of chuckling because I was like, the research says, experts say, were you surprised at the lack of individual um, knowledge and, and awareness and sort of knowing um, that it seems that these actions reflect that people aren't sort of thinking, wow, I had a good night's sleep, I feel really good. <laughs> or I drank some water, and now I can think more clearly. Um, was that surprising to you or not? Well, again, you know, we know, and, and at, at Thrive Global, we, we work towards this, that people know kind of what they should be doing. But it's hard for them to actually do it unless there's a plan in front of them that helps them envision how they're going to take these steps in their own lives, right? Like, we know, like, I know I should eat right. I know I should, you know, exercise more. But, um, but we don't really... But, it, it's but, hard but I don't mean do knowing this. in your mind, right? I don't mean knowing, oh, that's a good idea and it's proven. I mean, like, experiential knowing. That was the piece that I kept yeah. kind of being surprised by and saddened by the lack of experiential knowing. Like, this happened and I felt this way. Um, you know, I did this and it had this consequence. Absolutely. I... I was having a conversation with um, Angela Duckworth the other day, and, and she actually gave a really great um, quote about the book. And she's, of course, the New York Times bestselling author of the book Grit and the founder of, of Character Lab, which talks about resilient kids and parenting. And she said something really interesting to me, and it's really stuck with me. And it was um, when we go into an experience, whether it be a presentation at work or, or anything like that, anything that we do, really, we should have a set two different sets of goals. Um, one is the performance goal. You know, of course, we want to do a good job, but also a learning goal. Um, and sort of, you know, after the fact, how much did I learn from this? Whether, you know, we nailed it or whether we didn't, um, you know, really think about that as a separate goal other than just performance. And that was a really great mindset shift for me because, you know, even if something doesn't go 100% right, another way to benefit from it is, what, what have I learned? You know, get curious. Like, why haven't I been as productive? Why haven't I been sleeping as well? And then sort of you go through process of elimination of like, oh, you know, maybe it's been, um, you know, raining outside, so I haven't been moving enough, and that's been affecting my sleep. But um, getting curious is, is a great way to approach what works for us and what doesn't, rather than this 
self-judgment that a lot of us do. Like, oh, well, I haven't worked out in two weeks, so I've, you know, I've failed. Um, that doesn't help anyone. And, and that it doesn't help us actually establish those habits. Um, you know, what really does is these tiny steps. And, and a lot of the micro steps you'll find in this book are really about priming our environment to make it easy or easier on us to do the things we want to do. For instance, one of my favorite sleep micro steps is setting an alarm uh, half an hour before bedtime. So I know it's time to start winding down. That wind down routine is key to successful sleep. You know, gently escort your devices outside your bedroom, dim the lights, read a, a paper book, um, whatever, you know, drink a cup of tea, whatever it is. But if I don't set that alarm, I look up and then stress out because it's past the time that I already wanted to be asleep. Um, so part of it is making it easier on ourselves. Um, doing tiny things like that to, to prime our environment to make it easy to establish these habits. I loved Ariana's in response to technology. Like, what would you think if someone just like kept ringing your doorbell, kept ringing your doorbell, kept ringing your doorbell? I'm like, yeah, that's great. And, and those are great things to, to be aware of. And I want to add a third one um, to the idea of your evaluation after you gave that presentation is, did you enjoy it, right? Like, was it fun? Did you like doing it? Um, how did it feel? And and you guys talk about that in the second half of the book, or, or maybe the last quarter. And, um, and that to me is where the dynamic tension lies. And even when mm -hmm. we're talking about the book, right, because I know like the book is about micro steps, it's about changing habits, it's about understanding that you can make these small changes, and they're going to have a huge impact. Um, but I just keep and especially we, we've just got like about 10 or 15 minutes left to talk that come back to this, what I think is the the central aspect of uh, this idea of change and why we want to change and making shifts and what we're headed towards. And I know that with Ariana as the head of Thrive Global and her other interests and pursuits, it must be what drives her, which is this idea of real um, thriving, right? And that for that, there has to be a connection to self and authentic self and internal identity and this internal knowing and, and meaningfulness of life, not because we're successful externally or validated externally or productive, um, but that we have meaning in our existence, right? And, and that the, the anxiety and the depression um, that we experienced, you know, even in, the, you know, way before the pandemic, um, is rooted in this loss of connection to self and also to community and, and this sense of this existential terror that so many people feel. And so we've put on top of that, this idea of work, 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 be productive, be productive. This is, this is such a uh, understandable path. And this is the way to do it. Even though we see it from your book, it's very clear, many people have been doing it wrong. You need to stop and take a drink of water. Um, and those sorts of things and exercise. But how much in the book is that the core drive or is that not yet the focus because you need to make these micro shifts and habit breaks first and then maybe the next book will tackle that? What was sort of your personal um, drive for writing the book? What did you want people to get from it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we included chapters in the book about connection um, to self and others and then also creativity and and purpose because we can't live a thriving life without that. You know, we can take micro steps and nutrition and focus all we want, but um, you know, without without that stuff, 
we don't really live the life we want. As you said, you know, loneliness is a huge epidemic. People feel disconnected from, you know, each other and, and ourselves. And, you know, there's a great quote in the book from a 17th century um, French philosopher, Blaise Pascal. Um, and you can, you can see that a lot of the microsteps and connective tissue in the book have to do with this idea of connecting to yourself. And the quote says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Um, so, you know, as you said, we have phones pinging us every two seconds. It, you know, we are constantly busy and overscheduled and, and going, 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 but connecting to our deeper purpose and with others is so important. You'll find a lot in this book about gratitude. Um, gratitude is, is one of the most powerful emotions you can feel. Studies have shown it uh, can improve your mood. It can actually improve your sleep. Um, it, can, it can lower levels of depression. Uh, it's almost impossible to feel anxious and, and grateful at the same time. Um, and gratitude is actually something easy to habit stack. So we talk in this book about habit stacking, and, and that's what neuroscientists call attaching a um, productive habit onto something you're already doing that doesn't take any brain power. So one of my favorite micro steps for habit stacking is, you know, when I'm brushing my teeth at night, something we all do anyway, uh, I think of three things I'm grateful for. And, you know, you start doing it, and it's like, this is fun. After a couple weeks of doing it, you really notice a shift in in your mindset. And, and that's because of neuroplasticity, you know, once we do uh, a habit over and over again, we actually develop new neural pathways and stronger neural pathways. So prime your brain for gratitude by doing it. You know, I challenge myself to think of three different things each, each time, which is hard at first because, you, you, you know, you want to go to the existential things. I'm grateful for my health, for my family. Um, but if you focus on the small things, too, as you were saying, you know, the things that bring you a moment of joy, uh, I, I saw a cute puppy today, you know, I'm grateful for the lemon in my water. I'm grateful for an interaction I had with a coworker. Uh, it, it really helps you feel that connection with something larger than yourself um, and, and also go inward and get to know yourself better. And at Darko will be going to play there, you guys are so lucky. And then like, there's a focus on this, right? Um, and you talk about that quite a lot in the book about our relationships at work, our relationships with our managers and, and with our bosses. Um, and yeah. that's something there's also a lot of research around that this idea that people are working so hard because they have this, I think it was in, in um, the Fast Company article that they felt that 51% of people didn't think that thought their bosses didn't think they were working hard enough. Um, and that may or may not be true, right? We're operating on all these ideas um, because we aren't having good um, pathways of communication and, and engagements with people at work. What are you guys doing at Thrive Global to shift that? Because I know you're doing a lot. Yeah, you know, research shows loneliness and feeling disconnected can have um, – can be a huge detriment to our mental health and, and our physical health. And forming friendly work relationships can increase happiness, foster a sense of community, and even impact our job performance. Um, people with work friends are actually seven times as likely to be engaged in their work, and they have higher levels of retention um, than those who don't. So, you know, we are uh, at a place where a lot of us have been going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting for, for over a year now. 
and, you know, grateful for the technology, but also trying to figure out how to establish deeper connections and not just, you know, hey, how are you connections. One of my favorite um, communication micro steps is to swap how are you with a deeper question. Um, so once a day, I try to do that with a coworker. Um, something like what's on your mind even is, is just a more open-ended question that lets you get to know a person on a deeper level and honor their experiences rather than just make small talk. Um, you know, another thing that we at, at Thrive Global do and, and one of our main uh, pillars here is something called compassionate directness. And that is the idea of, you know, we're going to get upset. You know, we're going to get disappointed in other people. Let's express it and move on as a way to continually de-stress rather than getting caught up in that negative energy and, and letting it fester. Um, so we really, you know, we hire for it. We talk about it a lot. And it's really about, um, it, it's really about elevating uh, each other and caring for each other in a way that um, lets you say, like, I have, I care about you and I have your best interests in mind and, and this wasn't working. And um, when this happened, I felt this way rather than letting something fester. Um, and we do that all over, you know, boss to um, direct report, direct report to boss and um, all around. And it, it's a hard skill to master at first, especially if you weren't raised uh, in a compassionately direct um, household, but it's, it's, it's scary, important. right? Like you have to, you it have is? to, you, there's that chasm of, of huge vulnerability. Um, you know, I'm going to yep. say what yep. I felt and I'm going to risk like telling you. Uh, it's got two levels of, of terrifying, um, you know, <laughs> it's, canyons it's totally to jump terrifying. over. Yeah, yeah. But it then, can be, but, but also we encourage people to think of feedback as simply information. Um, this is just information that someone's giving you. It may be correct. It may not be. It may be their version of things. But the, the more you can think of feedback is, is just information. This is information for me, for my well-being, for my best interest. I'm going to do with it what I will. Um, it takes some of the, uh, that emotional scariness and, and stress out of those, you know, sort of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And, that you know, there's the magic of the micro step, right? That you don't have to then say, well, every time, every conversation, I'm going to tell people exactly how I felt and what I thought, you know, was <laughs> would, how they could have said it better or, you know, put everything out there. You can use the micro step. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which, and, and one micro step is, is so tiny that it's take a single deep breath before delivering critical feedback. Just breathing can improve how we communicate when things get tough. The it's pause, that one, uh, right? Yeah, in our in, exactly. a, in all of these translate back to the relationships with ourselves, the relationships with other people, in our romantic relationship, our friendship, you know, at the supermarket, everything like that. The take the breath, the pause, um, you know, it makes an enormous difference, though, that we're acting instead of reacting, and also taking mm -hmm. that moment and that pause, you can reflect a minute to just genuinely relate to yourself. Huh? Wow, what am I feeling? Wow, would that seem like a big trigger, or or what am I really needing in this moment, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the golden moment for so many reasons. And it's a micro step. Yeah, exactly. That's, An that's so true. Another micro step you talk about in the book at work is, um, and you mentioned gratitude already, but sharing that with your coworkers and your, your boss and the people that you manage by saying thank you. And it was pretty surprising how little that in the research you found, how little that actually happens in the workplace. 
it's true. You know, we we barrel through our days, we get stuff done, and we don't necessarily take the time every day to think, hmm, like, who can I thank? Uh, you know, at Thrive, we build gratitudes into our uh, all-hands meetings. But that's right. Uh, you know, one of my favorite micro steps is every day take a moment to thank a coworker for something that they did that uh, that you thought was great or even give them a compliment for, for work they did that you, you thought was great. We don't do it enough, and, and it can benefit us just as much as the receiver of, of our gratitude. Right, it, ben- it benefits everyone individually as a company, the bottom line, productivity. Um, you know, everyone, it's a definitely win-win all around. Uh, it's yeah. going to be impactful for every aspect of the workplace. Let's, in our last few minutes, um, talk about multitasking. And that was one of the areas where it was probably a huge aha for people along with get a good night's sleep, exercise even for a couple minutes if you can, um, eat something, drink some water. It's not wasted time. Oh, so sad. Um, And this one, multitasking, because people think, oh, I'm such a good multitasker. And I know (laughs) science recently, another show I did recently came up. It's like, okay, I hate to tell you, but it's really like 1% who can actually multitask task everyone else you're just pretending you're switching back and forth really quickly so you feel like you're multitasking but your brain can't do that um and on top of that what you talk about in the book is there's a reported 40 percent drop 40 percent drop in productivity um so what are some of the the micro steps around there and and uh, how how can we stop um the multitasking and thinking we're being more productive and and why isn't yeah, it more that. productive? Yeah, what happens? Well, you're right. We're 40% less productive when we're multitasking. Multitasking is actually pretty much a myth, you know, because giving our full attention to, you know, anything or anyone, it is becoming more difficult in our world that has so many competing demands for our time and attention. So multitasking has really become this de facto approach to work and life. And we brag about it. We think it's commendable, but it's, it, it's, it doesn't work. As you said, our productivity plummets. Um, when we're on multiple devices, we're actually doing damage. We're actually shrinking the gray matter in our brain. Um, so we talk about this in the book and, you know, some of the micro steps that can help us uh, stop the multitasking, as you said, I love that, stop the multitasking um, and really focus our um, you know, they begin in the morning, you know, starting off the day is so important for focus. One is to simply write down your priorities for the day, um, taking even a little uh, amount of time to decide what's important and what's not, what's urgent and what's important can be really key in reducing stress and improving our productivity throughout the day. Um, another one I love is if something takes less than two minutes, do it immediately. Um, we all know, you know, finishing a quick task is often much simpler than reviewing it, putting it in our calendar, uh, returning to it later. Um, it, it never really works, and often we never return to it. So if it takes two minutes, do it immediately. And then take one-minute breaks throughout the day. Um, this actually really did surprise me in a way. You know, neuroscience tells us that we can course correct some stress in just 60 to 90 seconds. Um, we don't take advantage of that enough. We barrel from meeting to meeting. Um, you know, Microsoft just, just did some new research about the stress of, of not taking breaks between meetings. So um, take one-minute breaks after a period of, of intense focus or meeting, or if you're just feeling stuck, take a minute or two away from your desk. You can stretch. You can take a walk outside. Um, 
just doing that, you can take a few deep breaths, can help free you from uh, the demands of your inbox, your to-do list, the you know stressed out mood you are in, and and let you really come back um, recharged. And another one of my favorites is declare an end to your day, even if you haven't completed your to-do list. It's almost impossible to um, to do all we could do in any one day, um, and really effectively prioritizing means being comfortable with incompletions, which again sounds uh, easier said than done. And it does take some work um, to take that time to recharge in the evening. So, you know, you'll return to work the next day uh, refreshed and, and reset. Um, we have to take it upon ourselves. We have to be mindful of that. Like I actually symbolically slap my laptop closed and say, I'm done. Um, it doesn't have to be the same time every day, but um, we're never going to get everything done. So it's up to us to to declare an end and allow ourselves to recharge. And that ceremony or that symbolic ritual is, is super powerful, just like the micro step, right? Like they're they're disruptors because these things are actions that we're addicted to, you know, just like our phones, we're addicted. And that with the micro step, we are disrupting. And with that, at first, there's going to be that dynamic tension, right? Ah, this does not feel comfortable, which is a sign that you're on the right track. And I'm guessing the more and more that you now, when you shut your computer and declare that, it probably starts to feel pretty darn good. It feels great. And it's something that, you know, you start doing. Um, you, you start doing without thinking. You know, 45% of our daily actions are, are habits. Um, and so starting really small with these tiny, uh, tiny little steps is actually the best way to start forming new habits. You know, you talked about unplugging and, and recharging and, you know, our relationship with technology, we talk a lot about it in this book. It's, it's a paradox, you know, these same devices that create opportunities for connection and um, convenience also sap our time and attention and uh, affect our, our mental well-being and, and performance and our sleep and all of that. Um, so one micro step that really, that really changed my life the most, I think, has to, has to do with that and has to do with the morning. I was doing the thing, and tell me if you're guilty of this too, Ellie. A lot of people are guilty of it. We roll over in bed and immediately look at our phone before we're even fully awake, before our feet hit the floor. Um, and I was doing this every day, and I would feel an anxiety spike that was um, palpable and, and took hours to go away every day. It was a shortness of breath and physical. I hated how I felt, um, so I challenged myself to do the micro steps of, and again, this is very micro, of just taking one minute between when I woke up and when I checked my phone. Uh, it sounds like nothing. Um, but I would, you know, drink a glass of water, again, a habit stack. We wake up dehydrated and, and you start doing that first thing, you feel better. Um, I would take a few breaths or I would set an intention for how I wanted my day to go. Um, and so I did this for a few weeks. I, of course, you know, micro steps are no judgment zone. I fell off, you know, fell off the wagon a couple of times, started it up again and then made it a habit. And I started feeling so much better, um, much less anxious and stressed. And then I realized you know, why uh, it was so bad that I was checking my phone first thing. You know, when we go on our phones first thing in the morning, what we're doing is starting our day focused on what other people want from us. If we're checking our email, you know, work email or text, um, or we're starting it focused on what inspires other people if we scroll through social media um, or the scary news headlines of the day, which is never calming. Um, so just yeah, taking that for their framing, minute. framing not only your yeah. internal world, but your external world with, with that, right? With, with what they've, uh, what the news is feeding you or what the demands are. Exactly. You were focused very externally on 
on, you know, what drives other people, what they want, and not what you want from your day. And when I started doing that, taking that minute in the morning, I, you know, set my intention and thought, this is what I want my priorities to be. This is what I want out of my day. And it really changed how I approached my work, um, even how I interacted with people and um, gave me this sense of calm that I didn't have uh, when, when I was doing it. So again, it's, it's a very tiny thing. You'll see some of the micro steps in this book and be like, that's it? But, one minute, but, one minute, right? That changes your life because you now yeah. have stepped into that center of your power. And that then yeah. translates to the entire rest of the day. Um, you know, I'm not at the whim of the of external reality. You know, I, I've got to say so here. And I love the element of the micro step um, and about that you aren't trying to st- change a habit or let's say an addiction with the phone, right? You're not trying to stop doing that. You're starting another habit. You're doing something else. You're taking this micro step to take a minute in the day in the morning, to focus on yourself, to get centered, to um, establish your intention. And that's what's going to be effective. You know, that we can't, you know, breaking a habit is like probably most times a pretty futile attempt, but we can easily start a new, maybe not as easily to take a little work, but we can start a new habit and be successful with that really quickly. Um, And and maybe we'll just end with that because you, you say in the book, you know, and you just mentioned it now that um, is it 45%, a huge percentage of our, our day is spent in habitual mm-hmm. behavior. And you say is, you know, are we our habits? And our lifestyle is certainly um, our habits. And that we can change that with new habits. And then by doing that and putting those pauses in there, we can also meld those two paths of, of the then who am I also aside from my habits, right? And then we're thriving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Part of what helps us establish new habits is connecting them to our identity. So, you know, you can say, um, oh, I need to go to the gym or I need to work out, but that doesn't help us establish the habit. Uh, what really does is telling ourselves, I am a person who builds movement into my day. Um, so even if you, you know, take five minutes, uh, which, you know, science shows really does help our physical and mental health five minutes of movement we don't even really call it exercise in the book we call it movement we you know I took the stairs I parked farther away from the entrance and walked I did a walking meeting there's no law that says we every meeting has to be (laughs) or whatever you know building walking into our day then you become a person who moves and, and who prioritizes movement and that is a win and that helps us be more motivated to to continue with that habit it becomes us it becomes part of our identity that's so great all right marina thank you so much um I've been talking with Marina Kadekel, uh, her new book, Your Time to Thrive, End Burnout, Increase Well-Being, and Unlock Your Full Potential with the new science of micro steps. And we've pretty much established, you can just start with the one, one minute, um, wait to look at your phone, and that will change your life for the better in all regards. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Elliot. Thank you. You know, anyone listening, I invite you to, to follow me um, on LinkedIn or Twitter and tell me what micro steps you've, you've been trying. I love hearing um, the stories, the stories of readers. Uh, so great, Marina. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, Take bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. You too.